Are you ready to turn it up? All right, parents, go ahead and tuck the kids in. PG time is over. The wait is over. It's over. Move this. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Everything Paranormal Podcast Show 2021, Episode 18. We're moving right along here. Uh, it is everybody's famous day of every week, of every month, of every year. Hump day. <laughs> That's right. I'm your host, Paramike, and sitting in the deep, dark dungeon of... The Dark Side Paranormal News Desk. She is the lovely gothic. I'm Paralore. That's right. She is going to be here for today, tomorrow, but Friday, not so much. Friday, she has to go to what I call the dreaded hell of life. Granted, I admire their position and what they do, but I'm the person that wants to stay the fuck away from them. She has a dentist appointment on Friday. All the way out in Pittsburgh. Getting a uh, dental surgery done. Yes, It's going to be a little while before I'll be able to talk. <laughs> yeah, she's getting her what she would call messed up pearly whites taken out. And she's going to have Stitches in her gums where her teeth used to be. I'm getting a dental overhaul. Yeah. So I'll be trying to do multiple things on the podcast show while she is away from it. And hopefully when she gets her new teeth in, she'll be back. Yeah. Which will be a lot nicer. But for now, with no teeth... When it comes, she will probably have her laptop by her bedside and finding some glorified stories and whatever else she decides to find. While I'm here in the studio trying to finish up some stuff that we've been trying to get through and whatever emails she cannot read, I'll be reading them. So that should be fun for me bouncing between 5,000 different stories. He's going to be, uh, <laughs> today he's going to be doing Urban Legends. Yes. Um, so who wants to go first, you or me? Me. Okay, we're going to throw it over to Paralore in the Dark Side Paranormal News World. <laughs> Enjoy! We're doing, uh, we're going to be... Talking some uh, paratainment, my new phrase of co- of uh, pop culture. Pop culture. Uh, first story. Did you just do a pirate reference? What? Arr. No. <laughs> it sounded like you did. This one's uh, from MSN.com. Done by Brian Wilk. Blade Runner and 11 other sci-fi films set in a future that's already in the past. Don't know if that title is supposed to make sense, but we'll go with it. (coughs) 
Let's see. It actually starts. The feature is now from 2001, The Space Oddity, Odyssey, to Blade Runner, which begins on Los Angeles, November of 2019. Hollywood has uh, depicted a sci future that doesn't make sense that now seems very dated. Really? Is that what you call classics? Dated? Though in some cases, films even get some things right. Let's find out. Like it... Uh, first uh, I'm about to look at is the 2001 A Space Odyssey, which was in 1968. That came out in 1968. Stanley Kubrick's magnum opus did not manage to predict the future of commercial space travel or intergalactic exploration that led to a new paradigm of existence and meaning in the future in the universe but it did depict that we would have intelligent computers Thankfully, Suri and Alexa are not as murderous and conspi conspiring as Hale 9000. Um, I guarantee you the other side would disagree. Uh, yeah. I'm not, again, I'm not a Trekkie. I'm not a, a sci-fi nerd. But the uh, intelligent computers, stuff like that, uh... I could have sworn people were seeing that on on fucking Star Trek. Pure Mike actually is a Star Trek type of person, type of fan. But we'll be. Uh, he just stepped out of the uh, recording studio right here. But like I said, the intelligent computers thought that was started in Star Trek. I mean, you are a Star Trek fan. Uh, let me think. I believe it was with uh, William Shatner playing Captain James T. Kirk. Uh, I thought it was Patrick Stewart that did it. No. Patrick Stewart played um, Jean-Luc Picard in The Next Generation. Yeah, I know. That's Star what, Trek. That's the one I was talking about. Basically, what it was is started from... William Shatner's days. Yeah, I know. With their computers, which was supposed to be the smartest computers ever. And then it just, when that whole thing stopped, it's when they restarted up um, Star Trek The Next Generation with the higher advanced computers. It's supposed to be like the quantum style. Yeah. And everything of more smartness. Yeah, that's what I was talking about, the Patrick Stewart versions. Yeah. Uh, next one we have Death Race 2000. That came out in 1975. While the new millennium did not bring about TV shows that featured violent race uh, street races to the death, as imagined in this David Carradine Cur or Dean and Sylvester Stallone thriller 
We have seen a surge of reality TV programming not unlike the one in the film. Death Race was later remade in 2008 with Jason Statham starring. starring. Statham. Whatever. <sighs> Escape from New York, 1981. John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Imagine that all of Manhattan has been turned into a giant maximum security prison to manage violence and crime run amok. And that's and that we realized this future by 1997. Uh, that's why I'm looking at Kurt Russell with a fucking uh, pirate patch over his one over one eye. Uh. Okay, Blade Runner, nineteen eighty-two. I remember that movie. What? The one where uh, Kurt Russell has the eye patch. I remember that one. Yeah. It was really good, but I think the way that the that it came about was two different types. Yeah. Like Shawshank Redemption, and how yeah. that was going, and then um, there was another one. Alcatraz, I think it was. It's either that or Big Trouble in Little China. Because mm. I know Kurt Russell was in that one too. Yeah, I know. But what I'm saying is that the way the movie was put together for Kurt Russell to be into that, I, it, I know it was like mostly Shawshank Redemption. Yeah. And it was also Alcatraz with uh, Al Capone almost a similar way. Was Where, Brad Dourif in something like that? No, 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 no. Oh, because no. I could have sworn there was a movie on Alcatraz, but I don't think it's the one you're talking about. No, no, no. Not the movie Alcatraz. It was, you know, like real life. Oh, yeah. I mean, like the real life Alcatraz with all the crimes and the murders that happened there on the island. Yeah. But then the movie uh, Shawshank Redemption, the same exact thing, but a little bit more detailed. Yeah. Well, Shawshank Redemption was also a Stephen King thing, too. Right. So... With this person doing a whole new one with Kurt Russell in it, it's it almost looks similar to both sides, but okay. a little bit more um, aggressive, I want to say, if that's the right term for it. Okay, yeah. And a, and it was supposed to also be more gory. Okay. Than yeah. what Alcatraz was and Shawshank Redemption was. That new movie I do remember. That in the Green Mile. Yeah. So, I just wanted to throw that in there. Next one is Blade Runner, 1982. I was like about a year old. Perhaps realizing we would not have lifelike sentiment robots, robot uh, replicants by the year 2019, Blade Runner actually got a sequel in 2017 that kicked things forward to 2049. That's why I'm looking at Harrison fucking Ford. Okay. Movie called 1984. Which came out in 1984. A reoccurring theme on this list is that movies whose titles are years are years are inherently dated. And there's no better example of of that than the adaption of George 
Orwell's dystopian novel 1984. The book was first adapted to the screen in 1956, before my time, then again in 1984 itself. But the year still has an unusual con connotation with the future. At the latest season, as the latest season of American Horror Story ugh, was subtitled 1984, and even the next Wonder Woman, Snore, which I'm not seeing, movie will be set in, in 1984. Actually, Wonder Woman by the previews looks like it's in the past in 1984. Just by the outfits. I think with that movie, they were trying to base it off of Linda Carter's character, Wonder Woman, from the TV show. Possibly. Well, the TV series I know came out before my time. Yeah. But I think they were trying to base it off of Linda Carter's style. That's Woman. why the outfit's not like fucking leather. Well, that's the updated version now. <laughs> that's the updated version due to the fact that, uh, you know, back then it was like nice to start off with, and then it started getting like saggier and saggier and saggier. And yeah. And it's just like, well, okay, let's do WW84. Okay. Wonder Woman. And make it, make the outfit look more. Advanced. Okay. More uh, super powered like. Yeah. And everything. And I was like, Ugh. you know. And I'm like looking at it. CGI. Yeah, and I'm like looking at the outfit. I was like, uh, okay. I used to watch Wonder Woman growing up. Right after um, Great American Hero, which uh -huh. I'm I'm still a huge fan of, and I wish they put it back on DVD. <laughs> um. But it's like, okay, now they have her in a skirt in certain scenes, and then that's like the only. And then that's they have like the her, only good thing about the movie is the outfit. And then they have her back wearing what Linda Carter would wear in certain other scenes. I'm like, no. If you're gonna try to redo a Wonder Woman theme for a movie, uh, do it the right way. Did she ever in any of the comic versions? Did she ever go up against a female? Because Kristen Wiig's playing like the female badass in the movie. Just no one ever notices it until like some part in the freaking preview. I wasn't much of a comic book nerd, fortunately. So I've never read any of the Wonder Woman comic books whatsoever. But you've heard of them. I've heard of them and I've seen them. You know, growing up in my home state, and, but I just never was a comic book nerd. I okay, was, I was more like because the uh, outfit Kristen Wiig looked like she was wearing was something like a leopard. Yeah, no, I was more of a, a baseball and football basketball nerd because um, there used to be a store in my neighborhood where I grew up called um, Bob's Hobbies and Collectibles. Yeah. It was right next door to the soft serve ice cream. So it was like I would go get ice cream and then I would run my little ass right into the store next door. And I would buy like baseball Beckett books, football Beckett books, basketball Beckett books. And with the basketball cards, football cards, yeah, 
baseball cards. You know, I just like flip them over, look for a certain number with the name to yeah. match it in the Beckett, and see how much the card would be worth today, and how much it would be worth like a hundred years later. Yeah, what happened to all those? You bought your motherfucking sold them all. No, she didn't. She didn't. Um, you actually gave a damn word that comes out of that bitch's mouth. I actually brought it over to a friend's house and. You know, I left it there because he knew a little bit more about baseball, football, and basketball cards and yeah. how to understand the book because I didn't. I left it over his house, and then I went, I went on vacation with my family members. And about a week before coming back from vacation, his house burnt down. Oh, okay. So I lost everything, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to even try to respend the money again to go get them. <laughs> And that's when Bob's Hobby and Collectibles went out of business. I was like, damn. Mm. I was sad. Okay. Next one we got is The Running Man, 1987. Another example of how reality TV has taken over the airways. Arnold Schwarzenegger stars in this campy sci-fi set in 2017 where he is recruited for a deadly futuristic game show in which he's forced to fight for his survival. Okay, why does that sound like other fucking movies that came around? For example, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Lance One Standing, or something like that. Same fucking premise. Okay, hopefully uh, I can actually pronounce this one. Akura, 1988. And I'm actually looking at a movie that's anime. In 1988. The futuristic anime Akura is set three decades after a nuclear bomb fell on Tokyo and started World War III. Okay, that's anime, so I can understand that, that premise. Causing gangs of motorcyclists to take to the streets in a battle against oppressive government forces. Sounds sounds f- too familiar. That didn't happen, but then neither has a, has a planned live-action remake of the film, which has been in development. Oh, I love this explanation. Which has been in development hell for so long that it has passed when the time when the movie is set to take place in, ni- in 2019. Fun fact though, the main character of Akura awakens to start, to start the film underneath a stadium that's currently under construction in Tokyo. And Japan is building a stadium for when the city hosts the 2020 Summer Olympics. Well, we know that never came to pass, now don't we? Now, Back to the Future Part 2. 1989. Damn if scientists haven't tried hard to give us hoverboards by the year 2015. Yeah, and those things, uh, what, ended up blowing up? When Robert Zemakis 
Back to the Future sequel is set. But we did get an obscene amount of Jaws sequels. Some of them in 3D, no less. There's only one that came out in 3D, and that was Jaws 3. Know your shit before you put that something down. Well, since you mentioned hoverboards, we actually did get the hoverboards that did blow up. Except they were wheels. I yeah, I know. That, Not that's like the what movie. I said. Not like the movie that uh, was supposed to be developed. I know. That's why I said. A hoverboard they, without wheels. Yeah, 2015, there was a version of that with wheels. Yep. And those fucking things started blowing up. Oh, yeah. $300, $400, $500 for those things, and then... Bye-bye. <coughs> yep. You wasted your money. A movie was... The movie was also a year early on the Chicago Cubs winning the World Series as the team broke a 108-year drought to win the World Series in 2016. More likely a 100-year curse. <laughs> and that's the... And if I remember correctly, I think that's the longest curse in baseball history outside of Boston's curse. I always thought Boston's was uh, longer than that. No, no, no. They broke their curse. Uh, I think it was like 98 years. Uh, I know they broke... A 98-year curse that they had, and they finally broke it and won the, World, uh, won the Major League Baseball World Series. Finally. I know, I know David was like a year and a half old. Yeah. When they actually broke that. Yeah. Then in 2007, and fucking Bruins won. Yeah. Shocking. They yeah, haven't won hockey. anything since then. Yeah. And then for them, that's a 100-year curse that they finally broke, which is, I believe it's the longest. Okay. In any history of any sports entertainment games. Yeah. Unless I'm wrong, let me know. You know, our Facebook page, you can comment down below. Let me know. <laughs> Terminator 2, Judgment Day 1991. The events of Terminator 2 are set in 1995 with the expectation that Judgment Day and a nuclear apocalypse triggered by sentiment machines was right around the corner in August 1997. Damn AI effect. Tim was right. Don't you ever say that again. <laughs> I don't believe that bullshit for a second. Okay. Now there's one thing I'm actually going to say. If what I just read was actually the premise of the fucking movie, then why the fuck was the second Terminator fucking liquid? Uh, the T-1000. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've been when I saw that, I've been trying to find information on that part. But I can't find nothing. Yeah, I can't either. But it was genius, though. Yeah. Free Jack. 1992. In Free Jack, right before a race, a race car driver played by... The douchebag of Hollywood, Emilio Estevez. The reason I say that is because any film he's ever done, he doesn't do meet and greets or anything. Especially when it comes to The Breakfast Club, which actually kicked his ass off. 
it is about to die in a horrible car wreck. He's transported to the year 2009, where wealthy billionaires harvest young bodies and implant their own minds inside them so they could li they can live forever. The trailer explains that they harvest people from the past who aren't poisoned by years of a deteriorate deteriorate take a drink of stubble deteriorating ozone layer Anthony Hopkins Mick Jagger and Renee Russo also star in the sci-fi film Alrighty then Strange Days 1995 The events of Catherine Bigelow's Strange Days are set in 1999 just four years removed from when the movie was actually released it played early on Y2K not Y2J Chris Jericho Y2K paranoia and predicted that technology would advance so quickly that we'd have advanced virtual reality and the ability to live within other people's memories in no time at all. Uh-huh. Okay. The movie 2012, which came out in 2009. Roland Emmerich didn't get the year right, but he was ahead of his time when it comes to imagining a global catastrophe tied to climate change a story he also told with the day after tomorrow none of this are, okay a couple of these movies that I just read they are sci-fi based and futuristic based if you want to talk a fucking movie that date that predates future and not talking back to the future the fifth element. And Paramount just dropped something after I said that. I think if you're gonna look at some, at a movie that's supposed to predate future, the future or something like that, you are gonna you're gonna actually see that in the fifth element with Bruce Willis. Even though some people think, you know, Bruce Willis, every time he's in an action movie, he only has a few lines and the rest of his shit's talked about in, in action. I'm thinking people, uh, some people say that probably because of Die Hard. Which, the Die Hard movies are really good. And also being in the movie, uh... Color of Night, which is actually one of my favorite movies. He does a stunt in the end of, the, of Color of Night, which is exactly from one of the freaking stunts he did in one of the Die Hard films, where he catches the uh, where he catches the girl. Yeah. Okay. My next uh, paratainment news we got here from Nerdist.com 
by Lindsay Roma uh, Romaine. Okay. Scream 5 has an official title and it sounds familiar. Horror movie titles are a whole thing. Especially when it comes to major franchises. Something we get fun titles like Jason Takes Manhattan. That was funny. Or A New Nightmare. Uh, Freddy Krueger. And sometimes we get total retreads. A means of taking back and rebooting the franchise. Even if the film in question isn't necessarily a remake. Oh, if it's a movie and they're not saying it's a remake or a reboot, you could tell. If if you're like me who knows horror movies, if the horror movie doesn't say reboot, remake, or reimagined, but you see the same, almost the same thing as a fucking classic one, but but you see, but you hear, oh, it's a different spin. It's a fucking remake. Okay, see Halloween in parentheses. See Halloween. For a meta series like Scream, it would it would have gone anyway. But we have to admit, we're a little surprised by the official title for the up upcoming Scream Five. See, I knew there was a Scream Five coming. The past four years have had pretty convention titles: Scream, Scream Two, Scream Three, and Scream Four. Simple, right? But according to, to Kevin Williamson, who wrote the original script, the next Scream film, will buck tradition in a tweet. Okay, Williamson confirmed that Scream 5's official title is Scream. That makes no fucking sense. That's a wrap on Scream, which I'm excited to announce is the official title of the next film. Twenty-five, Nearly 25 years ago, when I wrote Scream and Wes Craven brought it to life, I could not have imagined the lasting impact it would have on you, the fans. Interesting. What could this mean for the franchise? Like we said, the Scream series is incredibly meta, which means it's majorly big. So maybe there's some sort of in-universe reason to give it the same title as the original 1996 film. We already know a big portion of the original cast is coming back. Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. Maybe there are even more hidden surprises related to the original original in store. Let's see. This will be the first Scream film not directed by horror maestro Wes Craven. Well, no shit, he's fucking dead. The filmmaker passed away in 2015. Well, no shit. About four years after the completion of Scream 4. Which was his final film. That already has us a little bit nervous 
for the upcoming film. Though we're expect excited to see what Scream 5 directors Matt uh, Bettinelli Opin and Tyler Gillett bring to the table. We were big fans of their last film, Ready or Not. So, they feel like worthy successors. <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. And that's it for that. Uh, yeah. That makes me nervous. But that merely makes no sense. Naming Scream 5 Scream. That makes no fucking sense. No, it doesn't. It sounds like the first one. Scream. It, to me, that sounds like a goddamn remake. Yeah. And anybody who who is listening already knows I do not like remakes. <laughs> or reboots. Next, we have something on Margot Robbie. Uh, from theplaylist.net. Now, we've talked about how David Ayer's original cut of Suicide Squad was uh, let me explain. Let me read it to explain. Margot Robbie is very curious to see David Ayer's original cut of Suicide Squad. Meaning when Jared Leto played Joker. The gangster style Joker, which was actually pretty inventive. And I know they got that from one of the fucking video games. Due to the fact Warner Brother executives or person that does the editing decided to kind of fuck that a little bit. Okay. But. There is a, a re-release of the trailer for Zack Snyder's direct, director's cut of Justice League. Fans have once again resumed their rabid, rabidness for this extended version of a DC superhero film. But, and now, it seems, when we talk about the Snyder cut, we must also reference the air cut of Suicide Squad, which is still in its infancy of a social media campaign, but already has quite a few faithful fans pressuring Warner Brothers for a new version of the much uh, maligned superhero film. And now it would appear that the air cut has one more supportive voice in the form of Suicide Squad star Margot Robbie. Okay. Uh, speaking on a recent uh, on a recent episode of of the Happy Sad Confused podcast. Okay. Robbie, Mago Robbie, was asked about her thoughts on the fan-approved, hopeful re-release of Suicide Squad that goes with filmmakers David filmmaker David Ayer's original vision for the film. And though she hasn't seen what that might look like, 
She is very intrigued by the prospect. And her thoughts on that is, is, was, I never saw the A or cut, said Robbie. I know he shot a lot of stuff that never made it into the movie. We all know why. I'd be very curious to see it myself. Make no mistake, the drama surrounding WB's Suicide Squad, not to be confused with James Gunn's forthcoming The Suicide Squad, pales in comparison to Justice League. That said, there is a big difference between the version that was sent to theaters and the version that Ayer originally turned into the studio. Again. Warner Brothers fucked it. I knew there was more shit to that fucking movie. Reports claim that Warner Brothers wasn't impressed. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say that again with this type of voice. Reports claim that Warner Brothers wasn't impressed by eight years version. It got a trailer company to cut together a new version that was eventually released. And though the film made a ton of money, critics were harsh, and fans eventually came around to understand that Suicide Squad is an incredibly flawed film, to put it mildly. I do I did like it, but I'm actually I actually want to see the uh, Ayers director's cut. And with the uh, precedent set, fans are hoping that David Ayer's director's cut of Suicide Squad can get the same treatment as the Snyder cut. But WB, of course, has yet to hint at that being a reality. Uh, now with Robbie voicing support, maybe there will be renewed interest. We shall see. <sighs> Just like uh, studio executives. They do shit their own way if they don't like something else. Okay. The next one we have. Why Tom Holland's Spider-Man has mechanical web shooters. In parentheses, not organic. Which means that shit was actually uh, CGI'd. Organic webbing is an intrigual part of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy. But Tom Holland's tech is more comics accurate and a better fit for the MCU. Let's find out. Shall we? Marvel chooses to equip equip Tom Holland's Spider-Man with mechanical web shooters for the MCU. A departure of the organic webbing featured in Sam Raimi's movies. Filmmakers are always seeking a, a fresh perspective on established characters. But this change is more than just an obituary tweak to distance the superhero from past adaptations. 
The mechanical web shooters are actually more accurate with Stan Lee and Steve Detko's original comics. And they fit better with the MCU's version of Peter Parker, who is poised to become the next Tony Stark. Oh god. Not another fucking Iron Man. No, it's not another Iron Man. Thank God. It's just that um, I actually seen that and everything. Um, Peter Parker tries to do what Tony Stark did. Oh. In with all of his Iron Man suits that he has created. Okay. And Spider Man is trying to do the same for his spider outfit. Okay. So it's supposed to be like Iron Spider-Man. Okay. With all the technologies and all the gizmos and gadgets and t- uh, that Tony came up with, he incorporates it into his suit. Okay. Because at that point, Tony Stark uh, supposedly somewhere died. Uh-huh. In the last movie, and then he left a message for everybody. Okay. And the guy that's usually with uh, Pepper, uh huh, like was the chauffeur and the bodyguard of Tony Stark and everything. Yeah. He decides to take Peter Parker with him to continue Tony Stark's legend. Oh. Uh, that's why. Spider Man. Okay, we know the premise of fucking Spider Man. Spider Man is the alias of orphan teenager Peter Parker. A fictional character from the minds of comic legend Stan Lee and Steve Ditko, that's Ditko, who first appeared in the anthology comic book Amazing Fantasy number 15 in 1962. A bite from a radioactive spider, no shit, gives Parker spider-like powers such as clinging to surfaces superhuman strength and ability or agility, sorry and a precognitive sixth sense absolutely coined spidey sense can we get even more nerdy the superhero quickly rose to Marvel fame but it wasn't until 2002 when Tobey Maguire suited up as the web-slinger for Sam Raimi's Spider-Man trilogy, that the character received its first live-action film adaptation. Raimi's version had all the elements fans had come to know and love, with one notable addition. Organic webbing that could be shot out of the glands in the wrist. Although popping up uh, sporadically in the comics, organic webbing wasn't established as a core element to Spidey's powers until Raimi's movies brought the concept into the mainstream. Marvel took over production of Spider-Man films and incorporated the character into the MCU with Tom Holland's starting starring role in Spider-Man Homecoming. Following in the footsteps of the Amazing Spider-Man reboot in 2012. I didn't see what was so fucking amazing about it. Marvel abandoned organic webbing, but the studio took it a step further. Marvel used the mechanical web shooters as an opportunity to highlight 
Parker's genius int intellect. This paved the way for Tony Stark's entrance into Parker's story in what would become a core element of Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Which uh, Paramike just mentioned about Tony Stark. Or, uh, recognizing the potential of Parker's unique superhuman powers and intellectual genius. I don't know about all that. Which led to the creation of a synthetic web fluid. Synthetic web fluid. And subsequent web shooters. Stark takes the youngster under his wings through the guise of a Stark in Industries internship. Again, what Paramike just mentioned. The collaboration proves bountiful for Parker, who receives a new suit complete with Iron Man tech and an, and an AI companion. Let, uh... Tim Dennis start shooting out AI conspiracies again. The decision to have Tom Holland's Spider-Man build on his build his own mechanical web shooters is a return to Stan Lee and Steve Ditko's original comics and a better fit for the MCU. In his comic book origins, Peter Parker synthesizes a unique adhesive web fluid that builds a pair of wrist mounted web shooters that allow him to shoot and form the fluid into an array of shapes. This is something that Steve, uh, that Stan Lee said before. The one thing I liked about Peter's web shooters was the fact that they made him more vulnerable. The web shooters provide the possibility for an, for heightened tension because at any moment, Spider-Man could run out, could run out of fluid. This became a recurring gimmick during crucial scenes in the comic series and has already been utilized with Tom Holland in Spider-Man Far From Home. That could stay far away from my home. The sequel also sees Parker gain access to what appears to be the entire arsenal of Stark Industries following the death of Tony Stark in Avengers Endgame. Rendering the motive for a tech-based suit and a web shooter even clearer. Parker is now poised to replace his mentor's role as an inventive genius and trans transitioning away from a character whose powers rely within to to one who relies heavily on technology better aligns with this in trajectory. Since his creation by comic legends Stan Lee and Steve D Ditko, Spider-Man has gone through various changes both on the page and on the screen. Though organic webbing produced inside the body has made its appearance from time to time. The latest rendition from Marvel Studios sees Tom Holland's Spider-Man return to the original comics with 
synthesized web fluid, and wrist-mounted web shooters. With Parker's accession into the genius inventor role, vacated by Tony Stark, his relationship with technology is becoming even stronger. Uh-huh. Exciting possibilities await Peter Parker and his high-tech suit in future Marvel productions. Uh-huh. I'm not impressed. Let's see. Oh, God, no. Well, we're going to the land of shit, it, shit Disney. Hold on. Fucking commercial. Do, 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 do. Hurry the fuck up! Thank you. Variety.com Disney unveils High School Musical The Musical. Shall I barf now or later? The Holiday Special Trailer TV News Roundup in today's TV news roundup, Disney Plus unveiled a trailer for a high school musical, the musical, the holiday special. Uh, that's a little too long for a goddamn fucking movie, even if it's a fucking musical. Why not just name it High School Musical Shit Days? Or better yet, High School Musical, the holiday special. Not... Blah, blah, and blah. An Amazon Prime video announced a release date for The Wilds. Don't know what that means. Okay. Sable Shepard has joined the cast of Showtime's... Oh, wait. Um, wrong one. Hold on. Okay, that was it for that, really. That's all you get to fucking give. I got no time for your ass then. Okay. Agent Coulson has ditched Avengers for Marvel Superman. Agent Coulson, again, ditched has ditched Shield in order to become director of the Squadron Supreme of America Project the Marvel Super with Marvel Superman. Oh god, don't tell me they're fucking remaking that. I think that's a little bit too late. Warning, spoilers for Taskmaster number one below. Agent Phil Coulson is one of the Avengers biggest allies as in both the Marvel Comics universe and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Coulson has been largely portrayed as a heroic character. However, more recently in the comics, Coulson has taken a turn towards the dark side. So much so, in fact, he's now leading Marvel Superman and the Squadron Supreme. Marvel Squadron Supreme was created 
to be an int intentional a pastiche. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it, but that's how I'm pronouncing it. Of DC's Justice League. The team consists of both heroes and villains, including uh, Hyperion, that's how it's, or whatever, Superman, Nighthawk from Batman, Spider, uh, yes, Spider, Dr. Spectrum, Green Lantern, Power Princess, Wonder Woman, and Wizard. That's not a name you want to name a superhero or a villain. The Flash. Really, you gotta name the wizard the Flash? Well, it's almost like uh, what the new version of uh, Spirit Squad is supposed to come out. Or Suicide Squad, sorry. Spirit Squad? What the fuck? Sorry! <laughs> sorry. Suicide Squad. Yeah. More like uh, Captain Polka Dot. Yeah. And the other ones that we mentioned before in another episode. Yeah. Those are some stupid names for Marvel comic characters. Or yeah, DC well, characters. Well, we already know half of them going to get killed off anyway. Yeah, I know that, but still. I mean, why are you going to put all these people in with Margot Robbie's character? Oh. Harley Quinzel. Okay, here's this question. Why the fuck did call John Cena in it? I don't know that one. But still, <laughs> but the names. Yeah, I know. And you just read some one of the stupidest names ever. Yeah, wizard. <laughs> exactly. It's like, what the hell? Can they not come up with real superhero names anymore? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, between Marvel and DC, these people are coming up with some stupid-ass names for super characters. Hey, wizard, you dumb wizard over there? We gotta go. Yeah, no shit. The most fearsome member of the team is Hyperion, who essentially has all the same powers and origin as Superman. Yeah, being cracked out on Ritalin. <laughs> Instead of landing on a farm in Kansas, he ended up in the, in the hands of the government. Go figure. Marvel's Superman gets his powers from cosmic radiation. And unlike the Man of Steel, isn't afraid to get his hands dirty to accomplish his tasks. Okay. I wonder how dirty he can get dirty. I don't know. Coulson would become the leader of the Squadron Supreme of America after dying at the hands of Deadpool. I don't remember any of that in the movies. Well, then again, there's supposed to be Deadpool 3 coming around. While the popular character would, would return, Coulson's revival at the hands of uh, Mephisto led to a more sinister version of the character who is a borderline villain. Now leading one of the most powerful super teams in the Marvel Universe, Coulson has evil intentions when it comes to the Avengers. And following the recent death of S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent uh, Mar Maria or Mariah Hill he is one of the prime suspects. In Taskmaster Master Number One, by Jed uh, McKay, Alessandro Vitti, in 
uh, Guru EFX and VC's Joe uh, Carmagna, the death of Hill forces Nick Fury to team up with Taskmaster, who's been framed in the case. When discussing what Hill had been working on, a project called Ruby and Trigger, which featured some mainframes from Hammer. Fury says only three, only three people could have possibly accessed the same files. Okoye, director of the agents of Wakanda, Amy Han, director of South Korea's NIS, Tiger Division, and Phil Coulson, who's still working alongside the Squadron Supreme. Finding out Coulson is still working alongside the Squadron Supreme and is one of the possible suspects to his former teammate's murder certainly paints a bad picture for the former S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. I would think so. Coulson's descent into villainy has come back to the forefront and with Marvel's Superman and other supremely powerful superheroes by his side, taking him down isn't going to be easy. Well, no shit. Would you think it was going to be a fucking uh, walk in the woods? Could Coulson be redeemed if he didn't murder Hills? Hill, sure. However, if he did, Phil Coulson's transition from good guy to supervillain will have come full circle. And there's actually... It's not part of the story, but I just saw something of DC wouldn't let Superman fight Shazam. For the weirdest reason. Another stupid character ever created. But, oh well. Let's see. Uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl return as parents. This is from e, uh, entertainmentnews.com. Uh, Shark Boy and Lava Girl return as parents in new We Can Be Heroes photos. Uh, okay. You bet, uh, director Robert Rodriguez brought back Shark Boy and Lava Girl for his new movie set in the same cinematic universe, We Can Be Heroes. Netflix which is releasing the family-friendly superhero film on the streaming platform New Year's Day. It's already past that. So it's probably already out. Drop the first look at the return of these characters, who head headlined 2005's The, the Adventures of Sharkboy and Lava Girl in 3D. How about Snore and Snore Some More? Tyler Lutnier Lutnier and Tyler Dooley uh, played Shark Boy and Lava Girl, respectively, as child actors in that early movie. Earlier movie, Dooley, now 27, plays an adult Lava Girl in We Can Be Heroes, while J.J. Dashnaw, who played Brat's dad in Rodri 
Rodriguez's Spy Kids play Shark Boy. What's the matter? They couldn't get the other guy? The one that originally did it? You talking about Antonio Banderas? Uh, I don't think so. Yeah, I don't that's, know. That's JJ Dashna? I don't remember. I remember Antonio Banderas being the father of the two kids in that movie. In, in uh, Spy Kids Ninja Dwight. Yeah. But if they got the girl who played um, Lava Girl before, that's 27 now. Mm-hmm. Why the fuck couldn't they get the guy, the boy, to do the original? To come back as the adult? I think he was in the middle of doing another movie. Oh. I remember seeing a story like that in... Uh, they wanted him to come back, but he was in the middle of doing an, a movie. I don't remember uh, what movie it was, but I know he was in the middle of it. Uh. And they also want to get uh, Antonio Banderas to come back, but he was... Yeah, Spy Kiss is a whole different movie compared to Shock, Boring, Lava Girl. Yeah, but Antonio Banderas was in that one, too. As what? As the father. He was. He wasn't trying to keep get get the kids involved into his superhero thing, but unfortunately they found out, and that's when Lava Girl and Lava Boy was put together. Let's see. J J Dashna, who played Brat's dad in Rodriguez's Spy Spy Kids, plays Shark Boy. Uh, they are now parents at this point in time, and their daughter... Wait a minute. How does somebody that's made of lava and a, someone that's a shark have a kid? Uh, nope. And their daughter, Guppy... That's not something you want to name a kid in a fucking kid movie. As seen in the fo- in a photo by way of Bird Box's Vivian Lyra Blair is half shark. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo. And of course, the shark is a fucking great way. A lot of families have spent a lot of time together. Rodriguez previously told Entertainment Weekly in reference to the CV-19 pandemic, I've been getting calls from all kinds of studios. Reboot Spy Kids. Reboot Shark Boy. Of course they want to. They're all sitting at home with their kids. This seems like the best thing. The next best thing. <laughs> we Can Be Heroes follows a team of superheroes called the Heroics. Who need to be rescued by their superpowered kids. After be- getting kidnapped. Pedro Pascal... Okay, he, uh, Pedro Pascal, he was in, uh, Mandalorian. Christian Slater. That fucker's, I thought his career died years ago. And Boyd Holbrook rank among the members of the Heroics, while the kid heroes include Yaya Goslin as Missy, Isaiah Russell Bailey as Rewind. Okay. Akura Akbar as Fast Forward. Hala Finley as Ojo. And Dylan Henry 
Leo as Slomo. The cast also stars Priyanka uh, Chopra uh, Jonas. Uh, is he one of the Jonas Brothers? I hope not. Christopher McDonald, and, uh, Andriana Barraza, Lion Daniels, Nathan Blair, what if he's related to Linda Blair, Lettuce Blossom, Andy Walken, I think he's the son of Christopher Walken, Andrew Diaz, Sung Kang, that's the name, Sung Kang, Haley Reinhardt, Jay Quint, uh, Quinton Johnson, Brittany Perry Russell, and Br Brantley Halebron. Uh, you want to weigh in on anything on that? Nope. Okay. I'm going to take a break. Uh, Paramike will read some uh, Urban Legends. I believe... That's it for... Uh, Paratainment news. Okie dokie. Well, in Urban Legend news, we have a story from... What's named after a goofy dog? Shit. No, Drop not. No, not that. That dog. Not that dog. Close <laughs> enough, though. No, this is uh from Chihuahua, Mexico. State, where? State Trooper? No, I already. I did that. We did that one yesterday. I don't remember uh, you actually doing it. Two days ago, actually. Yeah, I did. You said you wanted to uh, do it when we recorded today. No. Because you didn't finish it. No, I said that I would put it at the end of episode 17, which I did, because it was a video and I wasn't going to read the whole thing. It's already there. It's on uh, episode 17, the end of the podcast show, which is going up on our YouTube channel right now. Okay, Just so you're basically being a tease. Well, I did say I was going to put it on there because it was a video and it would be a lot easier to listen to it. That's already been done. Okay, where the fuck are you at, then? Uh, the Spanish name there, La, whatever it is. La Pascalita? Pascal yeah, the Corpse Bride. Okay. Uh, due to the fact I can't say a Spanish name that well, but certain ones I can. I'll do the best I can. Uh, it says it was here from 2014 on July 25th. I think we heard of this before, but we never really thought about it. Yeah. It says, Is this bridal shop mannequin actually a preserved human corpse? Which is a question. Uh-huh. Chihuahua, Mexico, or Mexico, has a famous bridal shop. The business can attribute its popularity to the startlingness lifelike mannequin that has stood in the window for the past 75 years. 
Love Pascualita. Thank you. Come here, you stupid mouse. And looking at the photo, uh, it goes La Parler, or La Popular. Yeah. La Popular, yeah. It's not for... I like the dress, but... I've I've seen retail stores and retail department stores and everything have mannequins, which we call dummies. Yeah. They try to make them look like they're lifelike. Oh yeah, of course. But they're just dummies. Uh, according to a local urban legend, people say the mannequin in the window of the bridal ground store is really the Im. Involvement body of the former store owner's daughter. Let's take a closer look here. At I the wouldn't. Face. I wouldn't know what the store um, owner's daughter would look like due to the fact uh, I doubt okay, there was a picture. Okay, mannequins in the stores—they're not fucking pale white. They're fucking tan almost. It depends on the lighting. Color. Depends on the lighting, though. Okay, you have e- to you have to work time, in that factor. Okay, every time we were at the fucking mall in Holyoke, and we looked at fucking mannequins wearing whatever the fuck they were selling, or what was on sale or whatever. Right. The mannequins weren't paler than a fucking ghost. They were fucking tan. I mean, the face... uh, Okay, the hair, for one, it almost... Looks like it was made out of clay. Eh, a little bit. I mean, the eyes. I mean, the lashes look fucking authentic. And the eyes, uh, even though they look like they're glass. But we've seen glass eyes. Yeah. And they aren't that they that bright. No. Unless it's the way the light hits it, then they look bright. Okay. I mean, that's what you got to factor into is the lighting. Go ahead. Uh, the former store owner was called... Pascula Esperanza. Thank you. The mannequin is nicknamed... La Pascualita, or Little Pascula. La Pascualita... Means... Little Pascula. I.e. her daughter. Another picture of it. Now that you actually can get a good look at the hair. Uh, yeah. At that picture, it doesn't look like it's out of clay. No, it doesn't. It doesn't look like look like it's horse hair. No. Looks like maybe a wig. Huh? A ch- maybe like a really cheap-ass wig just put together. I don't think I've ever seen a fucking mannequin that has fucking wig for hair. I have. Um... Oh, dang. What's that mall down down south there? It's kind of nice, but dress ain't my style. No. I'm trying to remember that damn mall down south that that I went to. Huh? I'm trying to remember that mall that that I went to down south. Oh, God. Uh, Wilmington Mall? Yes. Yes, I've seen... You went ma- in one store. I've, seen, went- man- I've seen mannequins in that store where they actually had wigs on. Yeah, you went in one direction. I went straight to Hot Topic, my fucking candy store. Yeah. Uh, goes on. According to the legend, her daughter died from from the bite of a black widow spider. 
on her wedding day. So, Pascula embalmed her and stood her up in the window of the store. That's just nasty if that actually That's happened. That's freaky. Well, it wonder- doesn't say where the, the spider bit her. I know. Because back... Due to fact, I mean, we've heard of Black Widow spider bites. Yep. I've been bit by one. Yep. And then there's a brown Almost recluse. died, but... Uh, but the anti-venom that's out actually uh, prevents that. Right. And so obviously a- they probably didn't have... The anti-venom. Right, and that's also uh, the brown recluse as well. That too. Um, name? Since you can say it better than I can. Pascula denied that the mannequin was her daughter, but the rumor had already taken on life and no one believed the woman. <laughs> Could the legend be true? Question. Take a look at the images below and decide for yourself. The detail you'll be able to see on this corpse bride is incredible. Unfortunately, this is a podcast show. You can't see it. Makes for great radio. Uh, Look at the hand. Okay, mannequin hands are um, almost skeletonly thin. Yeah. This hand is like full is like full form. Mm-hmm. Similar to mine. Yeah. And then you could almost make out like veins in the hand. Almost. Uh read below the hang on. Okay, some say that La Pasqualita will sometimes shift positions in the window during the night. During the day, her eyes will follow weary customers around the store. That can be just paranoia, paranoia when people are afraid of mannequins or dolls or whatever. Yeah. Same way okay. half the time I think the damn mannequins are looking at me. And I hate those things. <laughs> uh, okay. Her gown is frequently changed and only the owner and a few close employees are allowed to dress and undress the lifelike figure. Some locals and brides-to-be pray to her or leave gifts for her with the shop workers considering La Pascalita to be a saint. Okay, let me take a Before you continue, let me look at her hand here. Her other hand. Uh, Basically the same hand in the other pictures. Well, one looks... Looks like it's the right hand. This one, I want to say, it looks like the left. That is the left. Uh. Just go back up to the other pictures. Hang on. That's the left hand. I know. I'm looking at uh, my hand as a comparison here. Great radio. Uh. I'm not a palm reader, but I can. Uh, I'm a sensitive, but not that type of sensitive. Uh. It looks like the hands look like the, uh, the crease of a female. Mm-hmm. And 
It looks like there's a scratch on, like, the center palm towards the sleeve. In the nail. In above, the, the th above the thumb or above the index finger? Uh, no, basically, like, right here. Oh, okay. I mean, the nails... If it's a mannequin, it ain't freaking kept well with the fingers. No. But then I'm looking at the other one here, the the full Oh my version. god. That's like fucking chapped hands. Yeah. Where the middle finger is, it looks like there's blood. Yeah, like where the bite was. Or wherever uh, she might have been like, bit. It's like the whole thing right here it just has like blood. Yeah, like in the middle of her fi like at the very end of her fingers. Yeah. Of course, not everyone is convinced La Pascalita is a corpse. Some say she may actually be a waxed dummy. Waxed dummies do not have chapped fucking skin. And that's it for that one. Uh, uh, sent in by Reddit. Doesn't say who sent it in, though. Yeah. Uh, but if you want to check out... uh. The Corpse Bride, there is a website you can go to. It is http double dot backslash backslash www.virlnova.com slash corpse dash bride. Or in this case, just without the www bullshit. Yeah. Because nobody goes by that anymore. <laughs> it's just viralnova.com slash corpse dash bride. And you guys tell us what you think of this story, which is... Babysitter and the Clown Statue. That sounds interesting. Oops. Let me take this one. You fucking act. Go away. Yeah, my thing just shut down on me on that one. Okay, sent in June 12th, 2014. Originally published on this site in September 2011... This legend is the second most popular story submitted to the site. The list of names that appear below is only a, a partial list of similar s submissions. Also have many visitors who've found ULO, whatever the hell that means, by searching for this old favorite. Okay. This girl- okay. Thing says this girl was babysitting for some family friends one night. A little boy and a little girl. Are you reading the babysitter and the clown statue? Yeah. Okay. The parents had a fetish for clowns. Oh, that's where Omar Gosh is going. And had collected clowns from around the world for years. Setting aside a room in the house just to put them on display. That night, the children were playing in this very room. Many of the clowns were just statues, and some were life-size. One, in particular, was seated, seated in a small, childlike rocking chair. The babysitter started to feel more and more uneasy about the statue throughout the night. She felt as though the eyes were following her whenever she moved around the room with the children. She decided to call the parents. I'm sorry to bother you, she said, but I was wondering if I could move this clown that you have in the rocking chair. It's starting to scare the kids and I. 
Okay, here's the question here. Which was... Uh, which says, What clown are you referring to? I don't recall us having a clown fitting that description. Are you sure it's sitting in the rocking chair? The mother asked hurriedly. The girl said, Yes, I'm sure. It's sitting right here. I'm looking at it right now. Why? I know it's partic uh, probably very old, and I shouldn't attempt to move it out of the way, but... Okay. And this is what I'm reading right now about the mother. Take the kids and get out of the house now. The neighbor across the street will let you in. Call me immediately when you get there. And with that, the mother hung up. Frightened and confused, the babysitter grabbed the kids and ran out. When she and the kids arrived safely at the neighbor's, she called and the mother answered, What's wrong? Did something happen? Are you all okay? The girl asked. Yes, we are fine. But it's not us we are worried about. It's you and the kids. I'm so glad you called. We were afraid this would happen again. Again? We will be there shortly along, along with the police. I've, I'll explain everything when we get there. And the mother hung up. The parents later explained to the girl that for some time... The next door neighbor had been giving them problems. He was mentally ill, heard voices, the whole bit. On numerous occasions, he had snuck into their house and tried to kidnap the kids. This son of a bitch should be in hell, not in hell burning right now. This time, he dressed up in a clown suit, painted his face, and waited quietly until he had the opportunity to do what it came to do. The parents had informed the police many times, but never had any proof until now about what was happening. They thanked the girl, paid her, and drove her home. Uh, okay, this was submitted by different people here. Ca uh, Cabri Bell from Oklahoma. Alexi... Oh god, I'm butchering this name. Parrot... Uh, Paradet from Corona, California. Janelle Revere from Assetusheds, which means asshole, asshole, asshole shits, Massachusetts, anyway. Alex Warwick from New Jersey. Emily, Emily W. from Loveland, Ohio. Sarah from New Hampshire. Rose Emron from North Carolina. Nick M. Don't know what that's supposed to mean. Chloe from North Bergen, New Jersey. Okay, here's variation here. The clown is sometimes in the living room. The clown statue turns out to be a little person that is living in the garage for four months and would go in and get food whenever the parents left the house. This time, he saw the parents leave and went in to get food like he always did, not expecting there to be a babysitter in the living room. Sometimes, the babysitter calls the parents, asking them if she could put a blanket over the clown. Are you fucking... Okay, that variation sounds stupid. But... This one that I just read... Um... 
Instead of the mother asking, what clown are you referring to? And instead of, instead of saying that, she said, uh, we don't have a clown fitting that description in a rocket chair. Not what clown are you referring to? Strange. They had a conversation with the with the girl, the babysitter, saying, "Yeah, it's sitting right here. I'm looking at it right now. Why?" She should have took that fucking initiative of the woman saying, we don't have that type of clown in a rocket chair. Hug up the fucking phone and then run out with the kids. Yeah. Not ask why. Fucking. Yeah. If that, if that, I could see that maybe being a reason why people, some people are afraid of clowns. That I get. I get. Uh, example, doing a Ghost Adventures reference here. Zach Bagans, uh, Aaron Goodwin, uh, Jay Wasley, and Billy. Um, are at the uh, the clown motel. Clown motel. Uh, Jay and Aaron went one way. Zach and Billy stayed. Yeah, uh, Jay and Aaron went to the Goldfield High School. Yeah. Which was like 30 miles away. Yeah, Goldfield, Nevada. People are wondering. Zach wanted to confront that. Went in. Even though... I didn't. I every time I see the episode, I don't see movement before he enters the, the damn thing. Uh, but when he's inside the place, as in front of uh, but Billy wants to call a replica of it, the original it. Well, Billy thought it was the first clown, not the second one. Yeah, I know. Due to the fact that there was two life big asses. Yeah. And the ones acts in front of and the and the hand moves. Yeah, it just slides right off the lap. Even though he said fuck that and walked out the front door. He was done with it. I would have I mean, reality, if you see something like that move and it's on camera, and you can't really explain it. Here's one way to explain it. Kick it in the fucking balls and see if it's a human or not. <laughs> if it, if you don't hear, if it doesn't fall and grab his, grab himself or fucking scream from getting kicked, then you know it's not, it's fuck, it's not, it's not a, it's not a doll. It's a, it's a human. That's my initiative on that. Oh yeah. Uh, you want to read the one below that, below the clown one, Irina uh, Sendler? Uh, not really. Okay. Uh, but I have a uh, a CIA UFO story. News story. Yeah, and I also have one of a famous TV show that ran for four seasons, and this one kind of caught me. 
Uh-huh. And I can't believe this man is doing it. After the sh- after the four for four seasons TV show ran that long and the show gave him the car that he drove is now heartbreaking to me. And I can't believe he's doing it. But we're going to go with the CIA is releasing its UFO files. Here is how to see them. The CIA is set to release its own version of the, quote, X-Files to the public. The agency is releasing thousands of documents pertaining to UFOs and other phenomena. The papers will are available to view at a website called The Black Vault. Believe it or not, I can't believe they're using that reference from Robert Ripley's thing. The order to release the files was part of last month's $2.3 trillion COVID-19 relief bill. I don't know how that would fit, but it's kind of strange. The archives can be found at theblackvault.com, hosted by UFO researcher and podcaster John Green Ewald Jr. Well, there's a thing for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to highlight that one and copy it just so I could read more on it and maybe put it into one other show, which is kind of weird. But like I said, this one here really hurt me. Um, famous TV star, actor, and musician, singer. David Hasselhoff, also known as Michael Knight in the four-season series of Knight Rider. And this is coming from Motor Trend. The Hoff's personal kit is up for auction, and it ain't cheap. And this is the, the car that he drove in all four seasons. You're looking at David Hasselhoff's personal kit. Kit, aka Night Industries 2000, a highly modified Pontiac Firebird Trans AM or AM, given the full Night Rider treatment. While this isn't one of the vehicles used in the show, bullshit, of which few survived, it appears to be an ex acting. Replica, doesn't make sense, of the hero car of the early 80s drama. And while you'd expect something like this, personally owned by the show's lead actor, to attract attention to go for big bucks, you might not think it be, or 
it go for as big bucks as it uh, as it, it's already at this story is not making sense now but that's how I'm reading it at the time of the of this writing with 10 days left on the auction bidding is up to four hundred and seventy five thousand dollars okay but yet he's in Germany with the vehicle this isn't the first kit that Hasselhoff has owned or sold either last year he told ERST Weil Top Gear host Chris Evans on his radio show that he'd sold a similar replica to a man in Turkey. The sale allowed Hasselhoff to donate $150,000 to charity. He claimed to regret selling the car almost immediately as the son reported and was hoping to buy another kit replica perhaps the one listed here on live auctioneers is the replacement Hmm. go away you stupid ad interesting there's a bonus if bidding stays hot and heavy sounds like what you do in a bedroom hot and heavy (laughs) that's what he said that's what she said Uh uh-huh and that's what he wanted because he asked for it that's what she that's what uh she wanted (laughs) or in today's day and age that's what he wanted and so forth yeah um will personally drive the car to its new owner if the price exceeds 25% over the reserve price. We aren't sure what the reserve is, but we'd be shocked if the current bid hasn't already exceeded exceeded it. There's one catch, though. Oh, go figure. <laughs> There's always a catch to something. Always strings attached. Yeah. Now, I understand auctions and everything. Yeah. You know, for people to bid on things like what you've been watching and what I've been watching with you. Yeah. Still when, trying to figure out how I'm going to do that without fucking way that when my places. When my YouTubes uh, that I'm subscribed to don't really put up anything else anymore for a while. It's like almost the same thing in auctioning. Like auctioning storage units that people want to buy, which maybe treasure in there which is 100% legal or it's just fucking crap in there and there's scams going at certain locations which we have seen yeah I know that's why I'm undecided when it comes to buying online yeah so it goes on saying the car is currently located in the United Kingdom the star's wife is Welsh and they've reportedly decamped to Wales. I don't know what the hell that means. It appears this kit replica came along too. No word on whether 
international buyers will still get to enjoy a personalized Hoff delivery. International hmm. buyers. That would probably mean the people here in the United States. Yeah. Due to the fact that uh, the entire freaking world is shut down because of this COVID-19 bullshit. Goes on, will the Hoff regret selling this one too? Which is a question. Judging by the current bidding, we highly doubt it. And that's it for that story. I thought I was done with uh, parent, but with parata- uh, paratainment, but I guess I found a couple others. <laughs> Former Disney Cruise Line cast member sues Disney due to permanent injuries from exploding chocolate. What? I'm about to re- read this shit right now. <laughs> Exploding chocolate injury. Hold on. What did she do? Walk by the candy shop and, just, and the candy bar just decided to go boom? I don't know. Fuck you, bitch. From Wild News Today. Okay. Exploding chocolate, right. Let's see. Let's find out what explode. What type of chocolate exploded. <laughs> A former Disney Cruise Line cast member is suing the company after he suffered injuries in the ship's galley, which would be the kitchen, I believe. According to a report from WKMG, Click Orlando, the the one-time food manager was severely injured. Michael uh, Palace, a French citizen, suffered facial burns and permanent hearing loss in the left ear after a pressurized chocolate canister exploded in the pantry kitchen. In the pastry kitchen. Ow. That hurts my ear. A co- accident occurred on November 18th, 2018. I don't know why I'm getting a stupid thing now. Palas claims that Disney Cruise Line did not provide a reasonably safe work environment. Among his uh, specific complaints are inadequate workspace and a lack of non-heated work surfaces. Okay, that can explain why that exploded. In all, the lawsuit names 25 examples of the unsafe work environment. Let's see, are they in here? The lawsuit also alleges that Disney Cruise Line did not provide a safety manual and that Palas did not receive proper care after this accident. Palas is demanding disability pay and all entitled damages. It has been a rough year for Disney Cruise Line. Sailings are discontinued shortly after the start of the CV pandemic. Disney Cruise Line recently canceled all sailings through December. Which was last month. And that's it. Um. So, what the hell was he doing back there with the canisters? Well, one thing I could probably guess, uh, I'm not a chef, 
But when you're uh, dealing with chocolate or or doing something with chocolate, sort of like to start like a chocolate fountain or making chocolate desserts where you have to melt the shit. Yep. On cruise, cruise lines, and this was actually told to me by my stepsister Jen, cruise lines in have several kitchens. The main kitchen, uh, I want to say like vegetation, a vegetable kitchen or something like that for like sous chefs. And you got the, pa- the pastry kitchen, which does all the desserts. Right. So this guy was a fucking manager of it, of the kitchen. The only thing I can think of, one, the pastry chef was not paying attention. Or he uh, didn't uh, check to make sure the burners were working right. Or the canisters were working right. And that could cause that. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is completely retarded. I, I can see that point. And uh, this is something that. Um, but yet he's a manager for that. Yeah. Doesn't Bet you ex- any amount of money. It that- doesn't explain why a manager would go where the canisters are. He was probably uh, che- uh, checking on like. Guess uh, the food for guests that uh, ordered something specific. Right, but you said that the canister was in like a pantry. Yeah, the pantry kitchen. Right. I mean, pastry kitchen. Sorry. Well, no, you said you said it was like in the pantry in the, I in the thought kitchen. I read it wrong. It's the pastry kitchen. Okay. Anyways, the cans have to be put somewhere. Yeah. If you're a manager. And you're going in and checking on your staff. Why would you go over near the canisters just to have one explode in your head? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. Well, That's not a manager's position or job title to check certain things. That's the people in the kitchen that put stuff in these things is their job. Well, I bet you t- any amount of money that Disney's probably trying to say it's not their fault. That I can agree with. Uh, what this is one that you sent me from MSN. Criminals. Charlie uh, Hawk, writer producer of Maud and Frasier, dies at seventy nine. I saw that uh, on um, the news feed. Uh, see, he died of complications from pancreatic cancer on Saturday, on a Saturday at the age of 79. Warner Brothers TV confirmed his death at his home in LA, in Los Angeles to Variety. Uh, the longtime writer worked on the CBS series Maud for three seasons, both as a producer and writer for nearly 20 episodes. And in 1979, Hawk co-created the ABC series The Associates, which earned him an Emmy nomination for Outstanding Writing in a Comedy Series. 
Hawk reunited with mod producer Elliot uh, Schuenman in the 90s as an executive producer and writer on NBC comedy series Home Improvement. That was fucking stupid. Starring Tim Allen. In 2000, he moved on to join the staff of NBC's Frasier, for which he received his second Emmy nomination as one of the producers of an outstanding comedy series. I think it was f- it is fair to look at something and say I could do that. Hawk said of writing for the for the screen in a 1993 interview with the Washington Post. The tricky thing about television is it is sort of like uh, marksmanship. You say I could do that, but no one, but not everybody can. As self uh, referential and formulaic and sappy as a lot of TV seems, even on the lower levels, it is kind of difficult to do. On the higher levels, a good show on a good night, television can be quite exquisite and very difficult. Hawk was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio, which is basically one of a, uh, a sort of a, like away from Youngstown, and graduated from John Car- Carroll University, the city's Jesuit University. In 1963, he moved to Pittsburgh, where he served as a reporter at Pittsburgh uh, Bureau Chief of Business Week magazine. The The writer broke into the entertainment industry as a TV reporter, an anchor at Pittsburgh's WQED, where he also worked on Drink, Drank, Drunk, a PBS special on alcoholism. Even when he moved to Los Angeles in 1974, Hawk kept in touch with comedian Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton is not that much of a comedian. Wait, Michael Keaton? Who he- yeah, Michael Keaton, the one that played Batman. Okay. I only know of uh, Michael McKeon. I know he's supposedly a comedian, but he sucks. But Michael Keaton, I didn't know he was considered a comedian then. Unless he's referring to fucking Beetlejuice. Who he had met during Probably. his... Probably. Huh? Probably. I mean, he that was really good comedic work for yeah. Beetlejuice for that character for Michael Keaton. Who he had met during his time at WQED. Okay, so Michael Keaton also worked in TV, I guess. Charlie was one of the first people who opened the door for me, said Keaton. I was about a month away from moving to New York. And Charlie said, I thought you ought to think about Los Angeles. And I'll never forget the expression he used. He said, it's wide open out here. I thought, yeah, I'll come out, and I never thought I'd set, I'd stay, and I just never left. Basically, he did. <laughs> that usually happens when you go to the West Coast. Hawk found initial success in Hollywood booking opportunities to write for the Flip Wilson special, a script he wrote for the Bob Newhart show. Soon landed him the writer position on Maud. 
Hawk also wrote the pilot episode of The Two of Us, CBS's long-running series that was subsequently titled Valerie's Family and later The Hogan Family. No, people, not the fucking wrestler Hogan. He has a different fucking name. Actually, I would say uh, NCIS uh, beat that. Due to the fact they're, they're in, what, seasons 18 sooner, sooner or later? Mm, or 19? I don't know. I'll have to look that up. For several years, Hawk also emceed the Humanitas Prize, an event founded by uh, FR, I don't know if that's supposed to be Frank or Fryer or what, Elwood Bud Kaiser, to celebrate writers for making a positive impact through their work. He also served as a trustee of the Writers Guild Foundation. Hawk is survived by his partner Logan Dalabetta. Okay, so he was on that fence. Okay, NCIS, just to answer your question, yeah. is in episode 18 right now. Okay. Um, which started November 17th, 2020, uh, and there's no release date when 18 will be done yet. Okay, so they are already done season 18? They're doing... They started season 18 on November yeah. 17th, 2020. Okay. They haven't... It says to be announced for when it to be finished. Okay, okay. So in other words, they weren't able to uh, film the whole season yet. No. So far, 18 right now only has 16 episodes. Mm, okay. But they're not fully done yet. And they just start... I'm surprised that from November 17th, 2020, they've done 16 episodes already. Might have to get CBS uh, back on my phone to see if it's the action, the new episodes that are out now. Because the last one I... The last one I knew, uh, episode I knew, um, revolved around... Uh, Shit, what's her name? Ziva. Thank you. That basically was all really around her. That this um last episodes were about her. That's the only thing I remember and that's it. Daughter Flannery, sons Maurice, Seth and Perry, sister Marianne Strobe, and grandchildren Natasha and Oliver. That's it on him. Yeah, supposedly uh, for NCIS, there's supposed to be some more cast members leaving the show. Yeah, I've been he yeah, yeah, but I've been hearing a lot of that um, lately. Well, I heard. I recently saw. I can't remember when, but I did recently see that um, the lead star of NCIS, Mark Harmon. Yeah. Was supposed to be leaving after the 18th season was done. Yeah, I know. 
but he's still there. Yeah, but I'm talking about when the, the uh, season 18 ends, he's supposed to be leaving. Okay, so in other words, he's stepping back. I mean, I know he's, he's co-executive uh, producer now. Yeah, but I don't officially know. I'm still trying to follow that story, but, you know, it, it, it's a toss-up with that show. First, well, I've noticed, like, in a lot of uh, the earlier seasons, they were, like, putting him in situations where his character is supposed to keel off, but it, they, but he never does. Right. I mean, Abby left. Yeah, well, yeah. Which was kind of sad for me. Because, which a lot of people were pissed. Yeah. Because they liked her. Yeah. And then there was supposed to be um, Ziva leaving. Well, yeah, she did, but... No, I mean leaving, leaving. No, leaving, leaving, which she wasn't supposed to come back. Yeah, I know. And then... Um, Donozo. Yeah, he left, yeah. He was supposed to leave. He did. He was supposed to stay away from it because he started his own TV show. Yeah, bull. But yet they brought him back. Well, yeah, for like... Um, for like, uh, like flashbacks and stuff like that. No, they actually brought him back, but not as an NCIS agent. Yeah, I know. They just brought him back because of the, the child. Dog. Yeah, I know. That him and Ziva had, which was kind of strange. Yeah, and then, then Doctor Mallard was supposed to leave. Well, actually, he was supposed to die, but they kept him in there. Yeah, they kept him there for a little bit longer. Uh, and then the director, yeah, was supposed to leave. Yeah, but he stayed. I don't so that's like a huge WTF to me. Uh, what the fuck is going on in NCAS creative writing? I have no idea. <laughs> it, it it just confuses my mind. And I don't like when my mind gets confused after, you know, 2016 when I had the tumor. Now it's like, what the fuck are you people doing? No idea. Do you not know how to write a script anymore? Do you not know how to get creative? Why don't you sit down with the characters and have them come up with a certain script and then figure out, okay, this may work. Let's add our, our little ideas into it and then see if everybody agrees to it in one shot your guess is good as mine I mean granted Mark is the executive director of yeah. NCIS understandable and then you have the people above him bit leave them out yeah then I yeah there was also one that you if heard that they were gonna bring back fucking uh they were gonna end up bringing back uh Jamie Lee Curtis's character too Yes. But that never worked out. The other psychiatrist. Thank God. But it's like, you know, from Mark and up, leave those guys out. Yeah. Keep Mark there because he's the executive director of NCIS. Yeah. Then whoever else is underneath him. Because you don't see the other people above the executive producer name in the damn thing. Well... In the uppity credits, you do see the the director, the name of the director, and that's it. No, no, I'm talking about, like, above, way above. Oh. You know, for the other people, like, you know, where NCIS is hosted on, which is CBS. 
that could also be like the executives for CBS not wanting their name in it. No, but what I'm saying is, though, is like, leave those guys out of it. You have Mark, which is the executive producer or executive director. Yeah. Then you have other ones below him that do the show, that are there, that the names are in the credits and everything, yada, yada, yada. But you don't see the other ones. True. Yeah. You don't. Leave them out. Come up with a script. Come up with, you know, the entire show of what they think should be done. How it should be done. Let them write it. Come back to Mark and whoever else. Sit down. Come together. You know, let them, let the other people read, you know, what they created, what they wrote. Then the creative writers can look at it, see it, maybe throw in some of what they might have for good ideas into it and see if everybody comes to an agreement. Yeah. Then if everybody comes to the agreement, then go to the next level. True. Go to the CBS creative team and everything, bunch bunch of morons, and then see if they like, you know, what the characters did. Yeah. What their creative writers did for the show, and then and then see what the executive creative department wants to maybe throw in their own little ideas too. See how long. See if it all collaborates into one big thing. Yeah. And then maybe you might actually be on the the same track for the show. True. That's how I see it. Well, I noticed. but we saw the previews yeah. of uh, Abby leaving. The, uh, with the preview, we both thought, what, they're going to kill her off? That the was the intention. The shooter, that uh, she gets shot. Yeah, and, and in the lab. almost dies in the next episode. Yeah, in the lab. No, she wasn't in the lab. She was actually walking with, um, with the uh, English agent. It went somewhere, and it ended up being like a hit from uh, someone that she worked uh, on a case over, from like uh, uh, quite quite a few seasons ago. Yeah, I know. I mean, she was supposed to die of multiple times. One was in one was in the NCI lab. Yeah. Another one was at her apartment. Another one was at Gibbs's home. Yeah. Another one was with that English agent. Another one was with uh, McGee. Another one was with Donozo. Another one was with Ziva. Yeah. Another one was with um, that other dude there. What other dude? The Spanish dude. Oh, God. I can't uh. remember his name. Then it was supposed to be Bishop. Then it was supposed to be McGee again. Then it was supposed to be uh, Jethro. Then it was supposed to be with Ducky. Then it was supposed to be with Palmer. It's like, does anybody know what the fuck they're doing? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, then they finally killed the character off. What the funny thing is, I think uh, the writers, as well as uh, from what I've even uh, we've said, seen on an interview that Mark Harmon said, he goes, "Yeah, the writers they wanted to do that uh, to Abby quite a few times, but he just thought, you know, why not give her a backbone instead of being like a victim or something, which." Uh, she did pretty good at. Yeah. Um. 
I mean, the um, the two the last two episodes of that season where Abby gets shot. I'm like, oh, which I think one of the uh, followers of uh, NCIS and Twitter, you saw that they were getting hammered. With pe- people going, what, you're going to kill her off? What the fuck? Yeah, literally. I mean, I know she's up there in, you know, her age. Well, well but yeah. She but didn't even, she didn't even look like she was over 30. It's because of the makeup stuff that they had on her. Even without the makeup, she doesn't even look like a day over 30. True. Well, there's also rumors that you've been noticing, too, that they want to bring her back. Not as an agent... But as like, um, so, like, I don't know, someone that what, um, at like a special guest star, like they did with Ziva. Yeah, but she refused. Well, yeah, because she she's done. she she refused because her creative writing team was not coming up with anything perfect for her. Yeah, I know. She came up with her own creative ideas, and they just like, sh- 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 mm-hmm. no. Of course. So she said, "You know what? Fuck you, people." Well, sooner or later, they're gonna bring her back. She turned. Ar- she turned around and says, "You know, the TV station CBS." Yeah. With their creative writers and the NCIS creative writers, they can just take the entire company, the entire TV programming. And shove it up their ass. Because she was done with it. Yeah. If she's not going to be allowed to do her own little stories and and work with those creative writers, then CBS is not worth of watching NCIS without her. Mm. She was the best. I, I enjoyed it. I thought Ziva was more of the kick-ass. Oh, yeah. Ziva was like Jethro. Yeah, but a lot more hard-hitting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, their backgrounds are by, almost similar. I mean, yeah, yeah, he was a Marine. Oh, of course. He's the badass. He's the tough guy. He will <laughs> kick your ass and shoot you later. Or if not, he'll shoot you first and then kick your ass. <laughs> Either way, Ziva's the same. Except she was trained in Tel Aviv. Well, not only that, she was trained as almost like an assassin type. Well, that's what Tel Aviv's usually are. For military is or assassins. Okay. Okay. Which was now for my for my last uh, paratainment. Yeah, it's getting We're close going to, to be talking about okay a ranking. Okay, the ranking of the so-called best twenty-five horror villains of all time. Not the horror villains, not horror movies. I still have quite a few of those I gotta do. But 25 best horror villains of all time. This should be interesting. <laughs> Which, see, shall we? Horror films have been around almost as long as movies in general. Meaning Hollywood has created enough monsters, maniacs, and murderers to haunt the dreams of moviegoers for centuries to come. Depending on what you're watching. But... Exactly which villains are the most frightening? Which are the most entertaining? And which ones do we simply love to watch? 
From Universal's classic monster movies to the scariest slasher stars of the 21st century. Let's see. This uh, ranking of the 25 best horror villains. Let's see, shall we? Uh, Candyman is number one. Well done. Or I should say, well, 25, counting backwards, 25 would be the last. Uh, Candyman, let's see, was 1992's Candyman an original idea? Nah. The character is basically the male version of the old Bloody Mary urban legend slash ghost story, but with a little extra work, which I caught that the minute I fucking saw it. Within five fucking minutes, I knew that was it. Did the film still still scare scores of moviegoers from ever attempting to look in a mirror and say Candyman? five times in a row. You betcha. Uh, well, my criticism, uh, skepticism on that. Tony Todd, who did the original Candyman, his character, he was good. I mean, he did add some mystery to it. Due to the fact you only heard, like, his voice... Or you saw flashes of them. <sighs> Number 24. Count or lock. Paramount just gave me the lifted eyebrow. What? <laughs> what? Count or lock. Might just be an unauthorized adaptation of another villain who appears later in this list. But that doesn't mean the character played by Max Shurek doesn't deserve some love. After all, 1922's Nosferatu, I, well, it's, called, it's pronounced Nosferatu, I call it Nosferatu, did a lot more for the horror genre, and you, and you can't tell me Orlick didn't still chilling to look at 96 years later. I don't know. I wasn't around because this was like black and white Nosferatu. But the premise, okay, I can understand that. 23. The Invisible Man. Not the Kevin Bacon version, but... <laughs> which is actually Hollow Man, but that's the same fucking version. Most people with the power to turn invisible would probably spend their time sneaking into locker rooms, getting free stuff, and spying on their favorite celebrities. <laughs> the difference between the average person and Dr. Jack Griffin. Griffin is kind of a jerk. Uh, that's what it says, but I'm going to paraphrase it. Griffin is kind of a dick. Okay, technically the movie, but not the book by H. G. by H. G. Wells. It's the invisibility drugs that turn the doctor insane. But like your typical mean drunk, he was probably already harboring some deep-seated negative feelings. 
Regardless, Claude Rains scared the uh, the shit out of audiences when he played the character in the 1933 film, which would be an embarrassing experience for anyone who doesn't also have the power of visibility. I know a, a way to do po power visibility. Kick, the kick a son of a bitch in the ass. <laughs> Patrick Bateman. Don't know who that is, but look. Oh, wait. Yeah, I do. Your typical blue-collar slasher film got a white-collar corporate makeover in the 2000 black comedy horror film American Psycho. Christian Bale, who really killed the voice of Batman, period, st uh, starred as Patrick Bateman, the villain protagonist who is either a sadistic homicidal maniac or just a delusional and paranoid shit living in a dog-eat-dog -dog world of business. Either way, we loved all 101 minutes of this film. Not sure what that would be clocked at. Which is based on the 1991 book of the same name from Brett Easton Ellis. Number 22. I'm sure everybody remembers this film. Carrie. Not the bullshit reboot. Not the movie after that. Before that. The original Carrie. Snore. Shush. Carrie was pure evil from the start, what with her disturbing telekinetic powers and all. This makes her the unfortunate villain of the 1976 film Carrie, especially after she killed almost all of her classmates and teachers in a fury blaze. Of course, if those mean girls had just been a little nicer to Carrie, who was played by Sissy Spacek, the film, based on the novel of the same name by Stephen King, would have probably turned out much differently. Such is the life of a horror villain, right? Which, I have to say, is the only fucking movie, horror movie, I ever seen that actually has someone with red hair in it. Now, 21 The Mummy Not the Brandon Fraser mummies movies and definitely okay hold on getting a little ahead of myself let's see for a pretty generic horror movie monster the mummy was nabbed a lot of screen time has nabbed a lot of screen time he was first brought to life by Boris Karloff and Universal Pictures in 1932, which led the studio to release five sequels, including three with uh, Lon Chaney Jr., Peter Cushing, then followed that up by starring in the first four Hammer Horror films in 1959. More recently, there were the Mummy slash Scorpion King films with Brandon Fraser and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as well as the recent shitty version, 19... In, uh, let me repeat that, I stumbled. Take two shots. Uh, blah, blah, blah. 
more recently, there were the Mummy slash Scorpion King films with Brandon Fraser and Dwayne The Rock Johnson, as well as the most recent shit version, 2017's The Mummy, which starred Tom Cruise, and The Mummy's a female, not a fe- not a male. As far as timeless horror villains go, The Mummy might take the top spot. He's several thousand years old, after all. Yeah, if you're talking the 1930s. Oh, God. 20. Jigsaw. Are you fucking serious? Snore. Last year, the Saw franchise released Jigsaw. The eighth installment since its debut in 2004. The first one was fucking snores, so what the rest of it? Even though Jigsaw himself was killed in Saw 3, he continued to play a role in the subsequent films, including the last one. And don't look now, but a ninth. Oh, good god. A ninth installment may already be in production. Not gonna watch it. I don't give a fuck. Wait, you didn't just Google it, did you? We said don't look. Right now, you'll probably wake up in in a gross abandoned bathroom with a reverse bar trap on your head. Again, Jigsaw even though it's supposed to look like some fucking dummy, was not interesting. Ah. Number 19. Ghostface. From the Scream films. And that is one hell of a goddamn thing. That is really good. Ghostface, that's one... That w- this one's a bit of a stretch, as no single character was behind the Ghostface Killer from Wes Craven's horror black comedy, comedy Scream franchise. Hell, even the original 1996 installment saw Billy and Stu both spend time behind the mask. But after four films, there's no doubt that Ghostface is a now is now a beloved horror icon that's actually true the character even led to a tv series based on the film that's currently gearing up for its third season on mtv i actually saw the first two seasons on netflix when we when i had it tv series was okay just they could have done better and the funny thing is yeah they might have for trying to remember who uh, uh, Matthew Lillard played. I can't remember if he played Billy or if he played Stu in Scream 1996. I can't remember which one. But even though it, it's saying that they both spent time behind the mask, they weren't the one using the voice, the voice changer. It was entirely a different actor. Uh, Which I have to give the actor or actor's credit who does Ghostface for being able to do the shit with the mask on. 
Because I, for one, can't see, see shit with a mask on. Number tw uh, 18, I believe, we got... Is the old version of the Phantom of the Opera. Hold on. What's up? You said Matthew Lillard, Lillard, right? Lillard, yeah. Yeah, he played Stu. Okay. In the nineteen ninety six Scream. Okay. With a bunch of other ones as well. Of course. Uh, Billy was played by Sketch. Earl Rich. Rich. Sketch Earl Rich. I still have to say that uh, Matthew Lillard was one hell of a good Shaggy. Mm. Anyway, uh, next up, Phantom of the Opera, not the musical. When you boil it down, the Phantom of the Opera, Lon Ch uh, Cheney Sr., is actually a pretty relatable villain in the 1925 silent film. It's the silent film, people, not the other one. He pines after an unqu uh, unrequited love, is spurned, and gets uh, understandably upset. And all he wanted, really wanted, was for the beautiful Christine to live with him in this dark, creepy, subterranean world for the rest of her life. With a bit of dental work, a nose job, and maybe some coloring around the eyes. The guy could actually be decent, be a decent boyfriend material, if only he wasn't so darned insane. Or I should say, wasn't so damn insane. Ha. Uh. Now, this next one. Pazuzu Reagan. I'm going to say that again. Pazuzu Reagan. And I could have sworn I just heard some people go, who the fuck is that? Let me explain. We had to specify Pazuzu Reagan. In this case, because technically, the character, character of Reagan McNeil, Linda Blair, when she was just a child, is really just an innocent girl suffering from an ailment known as having a, fl a fucking demon possess your soul. Of course, this made the 1973 horror movie The, the Exorcist all the more frightening as masses of theatergoers thought they could easily be the next unfortunate person to speak in tongues. Have their, have their heads spin all, all, all the way around and projectile a piece soup on a priest. What is this? Exorcist? Repossessed? What the hell? No, that's The Exorcist. 1973. Yeah, I know, but we've seen the other versions. It was like, the re Repossessed really? was basically, uh, obviously, Leslie Nielsen, whatever in that, but they were making fun of it. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying. The piece soup, the yeah, it's a homage to the 1973. I That's know. why. I know. I was like, what the hell? But I, that movie didn't scare the hell out of me, did it, you? To me, it just looked boring as all hell. There was no plot. Well, 
I think uh, that kind of gave people the paranoia about Ouija boards. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> That's a good point. Okay. Jack Torrance. Although, what? let me start right there. Although with the Ouija board, though, it's like um, nobody still to this day knows when it was actually introduced into movies. Or why it was introduced into the movies. Uh, that's something you can look for, look up for me. Yeah. And I can do that when uh, I'm healed. To be, when I'm healed. Yeah. Jack Torrance. Which, here's a little movie tri- trivia. Jack Torrance. And Paramike, I think he's thinking in his head. Uh, I don't know who the hell that is. Poor Jack Torrance. Jack Nis- Nicholson. All he wanted to do was provide for his family and write a manuscript. But he should have known that cabin fever and hotels built built on ancient Native American burial grounds don't mix. And in the end, you'll just end up out in the cold. As for audiences, they learned that Stephen King plus Stanley Kubrick equals one of the greatest films in horror history. I agree. Even though Stephen King didn't like it, I mean, they got some stuff right in the book, which, that's Hollywood movie pictures for you. But Jack Nicholson in The Shining, he has one of the best ones. And he doesn't need all that type of special effects makeup and stuff. He could do, like, fa- different facial expressions and shit without it. Ah. Next, next up we have... Damien. Now I'm going to repeat that again. Damien. I'm going give you, to give you all a few seconds... Uh, think the answer who, who I mean by Damien. Time's up. When it comes to creepy children, Damien, who is played by Harvey Spencer Stevens, takes the cake. Only metaphorically, of course, as the little Antichrist doesn't take desserts, but he takes people's lives. And in gruesome ways to boot. But... This, the most sinister part of the 1976's The Omen Spoiler! Spoiler alert! The kid wins! Next up on the list is Norman Bates. We all know Norman Bates, what, what he's from. If you're wondering why Norman Bates is listed in this list, but the photo is uh, Mrs. Bates, then you clearly, then clearly, you've never made it through the whole 109 minutes of Alfred Hitchcock's 1960 masterpiece, Psycho. Or its four sequels. Or, of course, the awful 1998 uh, rem- remake with Vince Vaughn. 
or the TV series that aired on A&E. Where have you been? Which I'm gonna, um... Ad-loop that. Where the fuck have you been? Next is the Wolfman. Lone Cheney Jr. had to had to spend five to six hours in the makeup chair at each time he suited up as the Wolfman, which included the 1941 original, the, the Wolfman, as well as four sequels. This is somewhat ironic, as for audiences in the 1940s, the scariest part of the Wolfman character was watching him actually transform from man to beast and back. That and, you know, all the random maulings. Ah. I believe the next one is, I believe, one of the best. Jaws. And I mean the original. Not Jaws 2. Jaws 2 was okay. Jaws 3 sucked because the 3D was bad. Jaws 4 wasn't even considered a fucking Jaws movie. It was considered a fucking melodrama. Jaws might not be your typical slasher horror film, especially since the antagonist is a great white shark. But the nature-based monster flick still fits the bill and evokes all the same feelings of suspense and terror in audiences. Plus, the Steven Spielberg smash hit almost single-handedly invented the blockbuster when it was released back in 1975. Now we move on to Pennywise. We're glad the 2017 version of It was so good, lest the name of Pennywise, the dancing clown, be solidified. I don't fucking think so! Now, you can take your pick between Tim Curry in the 1990 TV miniseries, or Bill Kersgerd uh, in the new film, and not go wrong either way. Or if you're us, you just watch both. Join us and you'll float too. Uh, one, Bill Kersgerd, uh, he did okay. I think there were some special effects that didn't need to be done. Especially the a fucking spinning twirl world that made me walk out of the fucking mo- movie like I had a fucking keg. Tim Curry, on the other hand, is the classic. You can go ahead, do remakes all you fucking want. You can't beat the fucking classics. I don't give a fuck. Hannibal Lecter is next on the list. Dr. Hannibal Lecter, Anthony Hopkins, isn't the worst villain in all of his three films, the 1991 Silence of the Lambs, 2001's Hannibal, and 2002's Red Dragon. But he's still a cannibal and serial killer who once ate a census taker's liver 
with some fada beans and a nice Chianti. But hey, at least he has some sort some sort of conscience of conscience. Here's another one. Leatherface. If you don't know who the fuck Leatherface is, you really don't know your fucking horror films. Or your horror villains. It has now been 44 years since Leatherface ever... Since Leatherface first wrapped up his favorite electric tool in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yet the franchise is still growing strong. Or going strong, sorry. Take a drink of stubble. There have already been eight films released to date. The latest being 2017's Leatherface. Not bad for a dude from a small town in Texas with big dreams of revenge, murder, and cannibalism. As well as a passion for some far out arts and crafts projects. I'm not making fun of the stuff. I'm just reading it. Next we have is Pinhead. Obviously, when Clive Barker conceived the, the Hellraiser franchise, he wanted to create beings so terrible that you'd never dream of crossing over into their world. Yet, 31 years later, here we are. Still positively in love with Pinhead, and not really much me, and his posse of Cenobites. Could somebody explain to me what the fuck a Cenobite is? I mean, I can understand there are different characters in the Pinhead films, but what the fuck is, does, is a Cenobite? Sure, 2011's Hellraiser Revela Revelations was an absolute disaster and the only film that didn't star Doug Bradley in the main role. But that won't stop us from playing with the laminate configuration puzzle box if we ever find one. Which I have to say is probably where the fucking Rubik's Cube shit came from. When, you're pl when you see people in pinhead movies doing that stuff with the the box with the box in the pinhead movies it's a it's a fucking rubik's cube if you think i'm wrong go look at the watch the films uh find a fucking rubik's cube and see if you can fucking work it out you're gonna see the same fucking thing i do it's a fucking rubik's cubed painted to look like something different or made to look different. Ah. My favorite horror villain. I'll give you a few seconds to figure out which one. And while I'm giving you a few seconds to th uh, figure it out, I'm going to light a cigarette. And there. The next... Chucky, and he is actually at number four, or number five, really. If you're if you're a horror villain and you're in the fucking top five, you're doing something. The people created it did something right. Props to actor Brad Dourif, 
who has played the role of Chucky in every one of the Child's Play films. Might as well just say every one of the Chucky films. Then again, it's not like the guy has to do stunts. As his character is an evil red-headed doll for which Dureff place needs to supply only the voice. But what a voice it is. Chucky can maim, murder, and marry whomever he wants. But it just wouldn't be the same without that Dureff audio track. Oh, and in case you missed it, the seventh film, Cult of Chucky, which I have all the fucking all the fucking movies, was released on DVD, Blu-ray, and Netflix last year. With Don Mancini once again handling the writing and directing duties. Still waiting on the fucking TV series. We're getting down to the wire now. Michael Myers. Now, I'm pretty sure everybody listening knows who the fuck Michael Myers is. And I'm not talking the fucking com- the comedian or the actor. Ever since Michael Myers terrorized Jamie Lee Curtis, ugh, that's all I gotta say, in the first ho- for, very first Halloween film in 1978, the classic, he has been an iconic figure in the horror genre. Night sequels tend to have that effect. Although, nothing will top the John Carpenter, Carpenter written and directed original. We'll still anxiously await each new installment to see who Mikey will go after next. Plus, Horror Master Rob Zombie we wouldn't really call Rob Zombie a Horror Master, but some of his stuff is okay, handled his 2007 and 2009 reboots quite well. Actually, I actually have to agree. I did like Rob Zombie's handling. I really did. His was actually more imagined. Oh, and did we mention a new sequel featuring the return of Jimmy Lee Curtis? Will be released on October 19th. It's not saying which October 19th. It might be one of the ones I've um, uh, read about uh, when we, in you know the Halloween month but October 19 that could be this year or the, the year after I'm not sure yet I'll have to see uh, number three <laughs> Freddy Krueger the one and only Robert England. If uh, you think the reboot was good, get the fuck away from my damn show. Let's see. Freddy Krueger. One, two, Freddy's coming for you. Says the famous rhyme from Wes Craven's Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And as of now, Freddy has come for us in nine different films. Including a 2010 reboot that was the first not to feature Robert Englund as the scarred Metal Finger Dream Stalker. Word on the street, M Street, 
Says another... Oh, good God, no. Says another remake is in the works, but it's still in the early stages. In the meantime, try to stay awake. I cannot believe they're doing another reboot of, of Nightmare on Elm Street. We all know as times change the, the classic actors who do, did the villains can't do it when they get to certain ages and you need somebody new but if you got somebody new and you have a shitty director and shitty script writers it does not fare well for that person next uh, number two, Jason Voorhees. Since 1980, the hockey mask wearing, machete toting Jason Voorhees has slashed, stabbed, and impaled his way into our hearts from Camp Crystal Lake to outer space in a dozen Friday the 13th films. Well, technically 11. Since Jason's mom, Pamela Voorhees, was the actual killer in the original. The 13th installment was supposed to be released in 2017, but was sadly scrapped, leaving the franchise in limbo. Then again, like Voorhees himself, you never know when the next scare might pop up. Frankenstein's Monster is number two. Remember, Frankenstein is the doctor and creator. Frankenstein's Monster, or the creature. In the 1818 Mary Shiley novel, has the bolts in his neck and is the star of dozens of films dating back to an to a 1910 silent short film starring Charles Stanton Ogle. Of course, the most famous portrayal of the creature belongs to Boris Karloff or maybe Fred Gwynn's spoof role of the TV series The Monsters. The Monsters was a fucking TV series for fucking kids. Not that. Not horror. Number one, we have Dracula. When Bram Stoker pen, uh, penned Dracula in 1897, he likely never would have believed that the Count Dracula character would eventually become one of the most identifiable characters in the history of literature, TV, or film. Or that he would single-handedly establish the vampire genre Yet, here we are, 121 years later, holy fuck, that's been that long. 121 years later, still talking about everyone's favorite bloodsucker, that again, Bela Lugosi probably wouldn't believe people from modern times, would be still talking about his performance in the 1931's Dracula either. 
And that's it for that. Uh, I'm about to wrap up. Uh, you want to do one more uh, Urban Legend? No, we're about to wrap up because I'm starting to get hungry. Okay. And then it's going to take a while to cook. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll do it for me, Paramike, and for the Deep Dark Dungeon Goddess. Paralor. And you've been listening to Everything Paranormal Podcast Show 2021, Episode 18. We'll see you next time. Bye.